this is really weird that I'm doing it this way because I got to start up the show because today's guest refuses to do it for me, even though today's guest is formerly of Mile High Sports, formerly co-host of Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast. The latest guest on the show, JJ Jerez of Gorilla Sports, joins me for the worst intro this podcast has ever had, presented <laughs> by Superbook Sports. Welcome back, JJ, for a reunion in the middle of one of the worst stretches of avalanche hockey I've seen in about a half a decade. No, I, I, I'm happy to be on my old podcast. It's weird that it's not my old podcast, seeing this, the changes that have happened or that it's not my podcast anymore, right? And just seeing the changes that have happened in this show already. I know you're doing your best to keep it afloat. Um, I think it's a long time coming that we do this podcast. I don't know what took us so long, um, but I enjoyed talking to you the other day when you joined the Gorilla Sports Podcast, Gorilla Hockey with JJ and Jesse. Check it out if you haven't. And uh, yeah, I, I like I like talking to you, Eric. We're friends, and I know um, I miss I miss doing a podcast with you. You miss doing a podcast with me. So why the hell not? It's Saturday night. You and I don't have anything better to do. Yeah. And uh, we just watched one of the more painful games of hockey I've ever seen in a while. But I think one of the things that usually makes those kinds of games better, even though this one was on the road, it wasn't at Ball Arena, was man sitting next to JJ in the press box was a whirlwind of entertainment compared to what it is now, which, you know, not that I'm sitting by anybody that's boring, but it's just one of my favorite things now this season with JJ at Gorilla Sports and kind of like sitting a few seats away in the press box is whenever something funny happens or something hilarious is on the jumbotron or whatever. And I look to the left, to the right, and I just see JJ looking at me with this ugly ass smile because we both want to say the same stupid thing. Um, so it's nice to catch up because we don't get to talk a lot. We catch up during the intermissions. Uh, it is a little bit different this year, but man, there's been a lot of changes. The last guy I had on the show was uh, one Peter Baugh of The Athletic, who now lives in New York. Uh, last yeah, we year, miss him. we do. We miss him. We miss him. We miss him greatly. And, and uh, you know, a couple years ago, Mike Chambers was at the Denver Post. Two years mm-hmm. ago, mm-hmm. it was him. A year ago, it was Bennett. Now we got Corey. And, you know, we've made friends with everybody else. But there's just been a lot of turnover. Kyle Fredrickson's been at the Gazette for a couple years now. And myself. And obviously, Jesse's been there forever. Now over at Gorilla Sports, leaving DNVR. And yourself as well, jumping to Gorilla Sports. Evan was gone for a little bit. Came back. Colorado Hockey Now. It's We still got a great group. But it's been a little bit of change which sounds a hell of a lot like the Colorado Avalanche who still have their core, but a lot of changes happen over the last couple of years. And uh, I'm here to talk to you for the next 30 minutes, JJ, about how Zach Parisi ruined the Avalanche. Let's do it. <laughs> I'm already seeing the tweets of, of if he's cursed or um, he, if he's going to get Jared Bednar fired. But I, 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 you, I want to go back to where you said that this was one of the roughest games to watch in a long time. I kind of, I don't, I don't know if I, if I feel that entirely because yeah, the avalanche were down the whole game and they got shut out. I I get that, but they were, it it, it was a game. It was a game. I mean, the two goals that they went down early were both power play goals from Florida. Let's not forget Florida is a good team. I mean, they have a really solid decor. They've added so many good names and they've gotten rid of Radko Gudis. Like they've improved from last year. I, I, I say what you will about their run to the playoffs or run to the cup final last year, whether it was a fluke or just a team getting hot or what have you. But um, that's a good team. Don't forget they came in yeah. the ball arena, what, a month and a half ago and and kicked the shit out of the avalanche <laughs> too. So um, 
it, it, that, that was a good team you're losing against. I, I don't hold hold it against the Avalanche. Like I said, I thought they were in that game. That third goal wasn't scored until late in the second. And that was the point where the game kind of got yeah. away from the Avalanche. But I thought it was a, a decently played game, especially a five on five for most of the night. So in a vacuum, yeah, it wasn't the worst game in the world. It was a four to nothing loss against a good team in a hot goalie where you had 35 shots and got shut out. Sure. The reason why it comes off as such a bad game for me is because the Avalanche. So since the All-Star break, we've kind of seen what's happened. They had that one nothing lead late into the third period against the New York Rangers. Man, imagine if they completed that shutout, how different things and the vibes and the juju and all things would mm -hmm. and everything would look right now but the rangers tied it up late in regulation with eight minutes left they wanted in overtime and then the avalanche go into their next game against the who the heck was the next one carolina no carolina was this last new one. jersey new jersey thank you they go into new jersey uh they get the shit kicked out of them over there too then they go to carol then they go to carolina they lose their five to three um, and in those three games, they combined for 0 and 12 on the power play. Nathan McKinnon scores the one goal against the Rangers, and then he goes pointless in two straight games. And that brings them to this game where the power play is 0 for 12 on the road trip. Nathan McKinnon has one goal in three games after seemingly having one goal every five minutes, <laughs> the three games leading up to the all-star break and the avalanche get the first power play of the game. And they are stopped dead in their tracks. Same exact issues and same exact bad habits that have kind of been hampering them the last three games of the road trip. And then the Panthers get a power play and 29 seconds in, just make it look easy and score. And then they get another power play and make it look easy and score again. And then you end the game where Nathan McKinnon goes pointless for the third straight game, which I don't know if you heard the stat Mark Mosier put on TV. I was curious about this. Uh, but I didn't realize it was that long ago. Nathan McKinnon has not gone three consecutive games without a point since the 2021 playoff series against the Vegas Golden Knights. And now he's in that stretch right now. So the reason why it comes off as one of the worst games I've seen in, in a half a decade is because in a vacuum, sure, it's a four to nothing loss against a hot goalie. But when you consider what was happening leading up to this game, it was more of the same habits. The power play couldn't do it. The penalty kill couldn't do it. Uh, they were being, you know, outclassed by another goalie, nothing against Georgiev, not saying it's his fault, but the other goalie was better than their goalie. Their top guns were not scoring again, four straight games without a point for Rantanen, three straight without a point for Nathan McKinnon. Kale McCarr has been rusty and a lot of turnovers lately. And then they just lose again, where in that second period down two to nothing, they get outshot what used to be 27 to nine, but now the scorecard reads 24 to nine. It just looks bad given how they entered this game. Yeah, I, I think there's a few things I want to touch on there. First, it's got to be tough to come off the bye week and all-star break on the road, not only on the road, but with a long road trip ahead, right? And I, correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like you and I have had conversations in the past about how the avalanche come out of bye weeks. Yeah. They usually the come Right. They usually come out pretty weak. Right. And it, it, so being on the road, I think, presents another challenge. The power play. Yeah, it's been atrocious since the All-Star break, obviously not scoring a single goal. But man, do they miss Val Nichushkin on that thing? I mean, right. They already missed Gabe Landeskog. Val Nichushkin was kind of able to fulfill that role a little bit and and kind of clean up, not not clean up, but get find some strengths that he never really had in the past to help fill that role on the power play. And he was doing a really good job while he was playing. So 
him being out of the lineup, it's it's a tough void to fill because they don't really have a third version of Gabe Landeskog, right? They kind of got lucky and got away with one <laughs> with Val Nichushkin kind of finding a new skill set. Um, but it is what it is until Val Nichushkin gets back, I feel like. It's kind of just going to be a weaker power play because it's just that, a little bit weaker. And then the other thing, Arif, and I think this is where we can kind of dive into more stuff, is, is, is the goal scoring is a problem, right? I remember last year I... You know, sometimes I go on those spurts where I look up some crazy stats and bring them onto the show, and you're always pretty impressed with me, right? And I remember last year we looked into the Avalanche's record when they would score three goals or more, and they rarely lost scoring three goals or more. And the last couple games they were scoring two. I think they got one um, during one of those games, and obviously tonight scoring zero. So the the goal scoring is, to me, the biggest issue. You're just not finding it in the places you need it and the places that you're used to having it when it's not there it's just so tough for the other guys to step up and and that's not a new issue right that's something you and i have honestly been discussing for years now is the depth scoring so the 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 goal scoring is really the biggest problem and when nathan mckinnon miko rantanen aren't having the best of stretches it feels like the rest of the team goes with them yeah they had i believe it was three against carolina but that was a game where they had to claw back and then lost it late. They had two against the Devils, one against the Rangers, big fat zero today. So Mm -hmm. they've basically, if you combine it all up, they have five goals in their last three games and McKinnon hasn't been in any of them. So that's kind of your big issue right now. Well, you know who hasn't been in any of them is pretty much everybody. Um, I had what on the podcast I just did with Evan Rowell. And I said this terribly on the podcast. Let's see if it comes out of my mouth better here. The Avalanche haven't had a goal from a guy not named McKinnon, O'Connor, Parise, and Rantanen since January 18th, when I think it was Miles Wood that got a goal. So it's been a long time since any of the forwards have really contributed, let alone, you know, I I guess I I don't even remember what got us into this conversation. But the the whole forward group is having a hard time finding the back of net, and it's a head-scratcher. Yeah, Jonathan Drouin has kind of cooled off. Uh, mm-hmm. he's got, I think coming into this game, he had four assists in his last five games, but he's just not playing the same kind of like dominant level. He was, if you remember when I jumped on that show with you, the Wednesday of last week, 10, 11 days ago, right before the all-star break. Uh, one of the things that you asked Jesse and I was what are the things the avalanche need to do in, you know, the quote unquote second half of the season coming out of the break. And the first thing I said was, the guys that are pitching in need to keep doing what they're doing. Jonathan Drouin needs to continue to be the top line guy because you don't want to be in a situation where you finally figure out the second line, which they haven't. Nichushkin's still out. They still don't know what the hell they're doing at center. But imagine they finally figure out that second line. And then two weeks later, Drouin is playing so bad that that Bednar's got to put him on the third line. And then you're calling up O'Connor, Parise, Miles Wood. You're trying to you know, fit a square peg into a round hole at that point. So we've already seen the drop off there uh, from him. So that in itself is an issue because one of the guys that came back when Val was starting to get injured was Arturi Lekkinen, and he has not been good. And obviously I am not blaming him for the Avalanche's losses. He was out for a very long time. He missed 30 plus games. He's got one assist in six games. So he's played with McKinnon and Renton and has done nothing. Drew has played with McKinnon and Renton and has done nothing. McKinnon and Renton and themselves have done nothing. So that takes out your top line. And then when you look past that, Ross Colton, you mentioned 
when Nichushkin went down, they couldn't find a replacement for him. They almost did. Ross Colton came in and had nine points in seven games when Nichushkin went down, but now he's got, I think, zero in the last four. He might have an assist, but I don't think he does, and I can you know, double-check it in a second. So they thought they had something there. Colton was playing that position right in front of the goal on the power play, and now suddenly you're seeing Lekin in there. You're seeing Colton there, Johansson. It's, they're back to just trying to figure out how to tread water until Val's back because they need Val, and they need more than just Val. But to start, that's a guy that is in your possession that you know hopefully is coming back soon. They need Nichushkin in this lineup to increase their scoring um, and then go from there because nobody's scoring. Ross Colton's not doing it. Logan O'Connor obviously has cooled off, which just the fact that he was as hot as he was was great in itself. And more importantly, McKinnon and Rantanen are kind of struggling right now, and that's the big glaring issue. When those guys aren't going, it shows, like you said, nobody's going. I think Ross Colton is kind of the perfect metaphor for what's going on with the avalanche right now. And I think this is why a lot of people, um, abs fans, especially are, are frustrated with what the avalanche are doing right now is you can play the right way and it's still not go in for you. Right. I mean, we all love the way Ross Colton plays. Jared Bednar loves the way Ross Colton plays. Most of the time plays with high energy, high effort, you know, defensively responsible, responsible and, and just, you know, again, plays the right way. And I think the Avalanche are, are doing the same. I I didn't see a terrible hockey game out of the Avalanche. I don't see Arturi Lekkanen out there making mistakes and doing anything egregious where you're like, oh, this this is just bad hockey. There, It feels to me, at least to my, you know, my limited knowledge eye, I don't get to watch as much video as Coach Bednar, so I'm sure he probably has a little more to say than I do about it. But I don't see them playing a bad style of hockey i don't see them doing terrible things out there sure you have a, an occasional turnover here turnover there to cause a goal but that's normal that's just hockey i don't i i think that's what's causing a lot of the frustration is it feels like the avalanche are playing the right way it feels like guys like ross colton miles wood logan o'connor andrew cogliano i mean these are hard-working guys you throw zach parise in there you got just hard yeah. workers up and down the lineup it, that i think that's just that's what's really causing us to tell, throw our hands up right now is this team shouldn't be struggling like this. Yeah. My, my big thing with guys like that is it kind of reminds me of like, what's the best example for this? The, the, let's, let's use the Toronto Maple Leafs defense as an example. The Maple Leafs have a lot of good defensemen. Morgan Riley's a good defenseman. TJ Brody's a good defenseman. Jake McCabe's a good defenseman. Uh, Simone Benoit has come out of nowhere is a good defenseman. John Klingberg had a poor start to the season, but assuming he comes back from his injury is a good defenseman. Timothy Liljegren's a good defenseman. The problem is they have a bunch of good defensemen without the star-studded guys at the top to fit everybody into the position where they should be. That's kind of the problem that I have right now with the Avalanche. Ross Colton's a hell of a player. Miles Wood's a hell of a player. Logan O'Connor, hell of a player. Zach Parisi, hard worker, hell of a player. Andrew Cogliano, same friggin' thing. The problem with the Avalanche this year, and it kind of is a little bit of a shift from a season ago. A season ago, they had a top six and nothing else because JT Comfort was putting up 50 points. Evan Rodriguez, who we, you know, we miss what he was bringing to this team. Uh, looked pretty good in the role that Jonathan Drouin is now filling. And then after that, it was nothing. It was Dennis Malgin and Matt Nieto and, and Alex Newhook having the worst of his two or three seasons with the Avalanche, which was a 30-point guy. Um, and just a whole lot of uh, injured Darren Helm and bits and pieces of other guys. 
Now what the Avalanche have done is they've sacrificed from their top six, guys like JT and stuff like that, to fill out a pretty well-rounded bottom six. Like, it looks good. Miles Wood, Logan O'Connor, and Ross Colton. I'd take that line in a playoff series. Come on. That would be awesome. Andrew Cogliano and Zach Parise playing on the wings of a Frederick Olofsson or some other depth center. You know, at the deadline a couple years ago, they brought in Nico Sturm. Like, just any guy like that. Or just Olofsson himself playing with Cogliano and Parise. Sign me up. It's a great top six. The problem is... What does that leave you? Or sorry, it's a great bottom six. The problem is, what does that leave you in the top six? It leaves you with Ryan Johansson, who has been brutally bad. Um, Love the guy. He's such a nice dude. But like, even in the worst case scenario, did any of us think that it would be this bad, especially this late into the season? Barry Trotz knew. Barry Trotz knew. Uh, Chris McFarland did not. Uh, Ryan Johansson, Arturi Lekkinen, who's six games back from a neck injury. Uh, the ghost of Val Nachushkin, hopefully back at some point, but obviously the only extra player that's in the lineup right now that I'm not speaking of is Yoel Kiviranta. So sure, Kiviranta. And then McKinnon, Rantanen, and Druen. That second line is really struggling. They have the guys in the bottom six that they didn't have a year ago, but they're missing, it's hilarious to say they're missing the JT Comfer second line secure centerman that can play you 18, 19, 20 minutes because even Ross Colton, we saw him play 18 minutes, two games in a row, back to 12 a couple nights ago, back to 15 tonight. He's just, or today in Florida, he's just not giving you the minutes that someone like JT was when he was coming up into the top six. And it clearly says to me that Jared Bednar does not trust him as a top six centerman but they need a top six centerman outside of Nathan McKinnon. So that second line is where the scoring should be happening. The top line and the second line, those are where you want to get a majority of your goals. And those are where the avalanche are struggling right now. Bottom six looks great. Mm-hmm. The top two lines are where there are issues right now. If Jonathan Druan is not going, you don't have anybody to replace him with right now. You right. did have a Val Nachushkin. You did have a Arturi Lekkinen who had his feet under him and was putting up points. You don't have any of those right now. Yeah, the inconsistency of Jonathan Druin. I mean, I feel like it was predictable. For a second, we all got really excited that, oh, he found it. No no need to worry about Jonathan Druin anymore. But I think, you know, knowing who Jonathan Druin is, I think we could have all anticipated it being a little bit streaky. I mean, I know going into the season, I was kind of comparing him to Andre Burakovsky. At least he was giving me those vibes, right, where he was – maybe one of the streakiest players we've ever seen. Some days you'd see him on the top line. Some days you'd see him on the third. And that's who Jonathan Druin is. I mean, I think in a perfect world, he's fitting in perfectly in a third line role, right? But some nights you get a first line version of Jonathan Druin. And yeah, I think everybody can agree. And we're all calling a spade a spade that the Ryan Johansson experiment is just a failure. And that's kind of what's really holding you back the most. I, I, (laughs) This is going to be kind of an old man story, but it was funny in my head, so I'm going to tell it. It'll make sense at the end, so bear with me. <laughs> About a year and a half ago, Arif, I was I was flipping a house, and these people were hoarders but collectors. So a lot of the hoarding that they did was like valuable stuff, or somebody found it valuable at one point or another, right? DVDs, records, um, old toys, and I found a a whole closet full of playboys like every single playboy <laughs> edition 
from like 1986 all the way to 1998 every single one there wasn't one skipped and i was like this is gold i just found myself thousands of dollars here i'm gonna be rich just selling these playboys alone let alone flipping the house <laughs> and then i found out the playboys were worthless oh boy and nobody wanted the playboys i know where and now i'm actually looking across my basement right now at a stack of boxes full of playboys right <laughs> ryan johansson is a stack of playboys you thought it was gonna be worth something when you got it you're like oh what a steal uh, i we just got a, a great win here in ryan johansson and now all you have is a box of something that nobody even wants you're looking for ways to get rid of it it feels bad just throwing it away right you feel dumb just wasting the money in a let's call it a buyout or you know some sort of who knows how you get rid of Ryan Johansson, but <laughs> because nobody's going to buy him right now. Right. Yeah. You, 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 you're going to have to, who knows, package somebody with him to even make it enticing for somebody. So there's my playboy metaphor for Ryan Johansson. Remember when the avalanche traded Ryan O'Reilly to Buffalo and like a week later, he crashed into a Tim Hortons. We're all just like <laughs> Buffalo. You ruined Ryan O'Reilly. What the hell is gorilla sports done to JJ? Cause that was gold. <laughs> that was, we, I let go of you for four months. What the <laughs> hell just happened? No, that's hilarious. That's, that's literally the way it is. Like the avalanche thought they were striking gold here. And look, I'm not going to sit here and, and, and play in hindsight and pretend that I predicted this. I thought Johansson was going to fit. I really, truly did. I went mm -hmm. on a podcast or not a podcast. I went on a radio show with Nick Kiprios and Justin Bourne, real Kipper and Bourne. I did it in the summer. If you guys don't listen to them, they are excellent. They are my favorite radio show. That's not a podcast, like a traditional radio show in the hockey world. And they're not Maple Leaf centric. They're league centric. And they invited me on after the Ryan Johansson trade. And I mentioned, Nick Kiprios mentioned to me, former NHLer, Stanley Cup champion of the Rangers in 1994. And he said to me, Ryan Johansson's got a reputation for not being a hard worker for this, for that. How does this guy fit into the Nathan McKinnon locker room? That team, the team that's 12 months removed from a Stanley cup at the time. And I said, he reminds me of Ryan O'Reilly in the sense where Ryan O'Reilly doesn't have the foot speed. Ryan Johansson doesn't have the foot speed. Ryan O'Reilly used his high hockey IQ to make it work when he played with guys like Duchesne and McKinnon and Landeskog and the guys that did have that pace. Ryan Johansson, I thought would do the same thing. And Kiprios responded to me and said, with all due respect, never ever compare Ryan Johansson to Ryan O'Reilly because Ryan Johansson, like Ryan O'Reilly might not have the feet. And I'll remember this because he said it to me. And if you've ever seen a picture of Nick Kiprios, he's a scary looking man. And I was shin bricks because he is a scary looking man he said ryan o'reilly ryan johansson like o'reilly does not have the foot speed ryan johansson like ryan o'reilly has made a living in the nhl off of a high hockey iq but in order to fit with a team like the avalanche you have to have the work ethic of a ryan o'reilly and that's no knock on ryan johansson and i'm not saying he has a bad reputation of not working hard i'm not even gonna pretend to know how to gauge that and neither are you we can't sit here and say Ryan Johansson isn't trying. He doesn't care. But Ryan O'Reilly goes above and beyond like a motherfucker to make up for his lack of speed when he's playing with teams like the Colorado Avalanche, when he's playing with players like Nathan McKinnon in the past, Vladimir Tarasenko and David Perron and you know all the guys he's played with, Alex Petrangelo, who can move pretty well. Ryan Johansson just doesn't have that.
And Kiprios kind of called it back then. And then they had me on the show a month ago when the Avalanche were in Toronto. And I reminded him of that story. And he mentioned that that is pretty much the way he saw it playing out. So the Avalanche thought they had something there, but Mm -hmm. they ended up with, like you said, a box of useless playboys that you thought you were going to strike gold with and ended up being nothing. And it's been beyond expectation of how bad like you thought it could be it's been worse than that and and now you're in a situation where you know the avalanche traded for this guy ahead of free agency uh they didn't go out and try to they they tried to you know go to the thrift shop and find a nice pair of shoes that are kind of broken on the bottom rather than going out and finding a good deal at a store for a brand new pair of shoes that you know could last you for a winter and and that's what they ended up with and now you're in a situation where not only do you need to replace Ryan Johansson and bring in another second line center you have this guy with a 4 million dollar salary cap this year and next season no contract is immovable because Cal Peterson plays for the Philadelphia Flyers he was on the LA Kings a year ago somehow the San Jose Sharks moved Eric Carlson i know different scenario that guy's a Norris trophy winner and put up 100 points but no contract is immovable but when you talk about the trade deadline being less than a month away now, we are 27 or whatever days away from the trade deadline. You're talking about the avalanche trying to find a way to bring in a second line center and trying to make the cap work because who's going to take Johansson at this point? It's that that's that's the big issue. And then you got to go into next season, assuming you bring in a rental, you got to go into next season again on July 1st and find a way to replace what you've been missing since Nazem Kadri walked, which maybe you shouldn't have done that. But here we are two years later, you're still trying to find another centerman. I went on the podcast with you and Jesse a couple of weeks ago that I referenced. I recommended and I shot out the idea of the avalanche to trade Bowen Byron for Joel Erickson. But think about that for a second. In order to replace what you had in someone like Kadri, you got to trade this young blue chip defenseman. And that's just where they're at right now. So whether it be Adam Henrique, whether it be Boone Jenner, I would have said Sean Monahan, and I did a week and a half ago, but shortly after that, he got traded. The Avs got to find someone to play that spot, and you got to find a way to get Ryan Johansson and his $4 million this year and next year off this team, and that's the big issue right now. How do you even do that with the way the market and the salary cap is working? Yeah, and it's tough, right? I mean, the Avalanche have never been ones to sit on their hands, so you know they're going to do something. I don't know if the buyer's market out there is is very good for the guy they're looking for but yeah at the same time it feels like anything's going to be an upgrade right and, yeah. and i i really hate saying this about ryan johansson that's what makes it so hard because we like we like the guy he's so nice you're really rooting for him but um you, you see you know you, you got to take what you see and and kind of go with that and it's got to be one of those feelings for chris mcfarland where he's like man now in hindsight I don't know why I saw this going any differently. I don't know yeah. what convinced me that this that he was going to not to be anything other than what he is because that's what that's what happened. I remember during the offseason, right, with Barry Trotz. Barry Trotz said he's lost the speed. He's not able to keep up with this NHL anymore. Now coming off of an injury, he's even less able to keep up with, with this version of the NHL. So, coming off of a lingering injury, who knows how able he is to participate in all the training that the team loves to do, right? We hear yeah. so much about this post-game workout that the, a lot of the guys are into, particularly Nathan McKinnon. But when you're rehabbing an injury or you know trying to make sure it's 
okay to go the next night, yeah. you know, you're, you're, you might be missing out on some of the things and that's really hurting him because he's got to work on his strength. And if he can't work on his strength and his speed to keep up with the rest of this team, cause he's still lingering or nursing a lingering injury or, you know, what, whatever it may be. Um, he's only working himself further and further backwards. So yeah, it's, it's gotta be something they address, but how, I, and that's what I think we're all waiting to see. The unusual part of that deal for me was the way, like, well, just the deal as a whole was very unlike the avalanche. And again, in hindsight, y'all can record, rewind back to JJ and I talking about this in the summer, man. We talked about Ryan Johansson as holy shit, like this is going to work. He's going to figure it out. This guy, let's get that Johansson, Nitrushkin, Ranton in line. What, like I used to say, mm -hmm. the three big dudes all on one line. This is going to be great. It's going to work. It's going to be awesome. And then I had uh, a reporter out of Nashville come on the show and straight up tell me this guy's going to put up 60 points playing on that avalanche team with guys like Nitrushkin and Lekkanen. Obviously hasn't worked. <laughs> but one thing that I do remember is there were two thoughts I had in the summer about him that really were unusual to me. I still thought it was going to work. But the two things that stuck out to me were after I saw Matt Duchesne get bought out and signed with Dallas for one year at $3 million, it says to me that, you know, we saw what Barry Trotz did. He cleaned the hell out of the house in Nashville. He wanted to get rid of anything and everything that he thinks. It's kind of like Parisian Suter over in Minnesota. Bill Guerin said, we need a change in this locker room and a change in the direction of this team. And he took both those guys and said, I'm going to eat the big salary cap hits for the buyouts. Fuck it. And that's what Nashville did. That's what Barry Trotz did with Duchesne and Johansson. One he traded, one he bought out. Duchesne's buyout is expensive and for a lot of years. It says to me that they would have bought out Ryan Johansson. So even if Johansson got the same contract as Duchesne, it is unusual to me that the Avalanche didn't allow Nashville to buy him out and then go out and offer him a year at three million, a year at three and a half million, rather than take on two at four. I feel like Chris McFarland had a little bit of cold feet, like, oh man, this is what if we don't get him? And what if JT Comfort walks? And what if this? And what if that? And we we want to trade Alex Newhook. What if, what if, what if, what if? We have no second line center. And here you are without a second line center anyway, because he hasn't worked. That's number one. Number two, the unusual part for me is the Avalanche's front office over these last four or five years are a very calculated bunch. They don't go out and make those big swings. They don't go out and take the big risks. The only other time I've seen them do that was when they went out and traded a first-round draft pick and, at the time, what was a very big prospect name in Connor Timmins to bring in Darcy Kemper because he had no other option. Seattle came in out of nowhere and stole a goalie from under your feet. You had no other choice but to do that. But if you look at their trade deadlines, you know, I'll go back to Toronto. They traded a first-rounder for Nick Foligno. They traded a first-rounder for Ryan O'Reilly. They traded a first-rounder for Sam Lafferty and Jake McCabe. They keep trading these first-rounders. Florida, we saw them just like unload and just blow up their entire prospect and draft pick pool to bring in Ben Sherrod and Claude Giroux and all those guys they brought in that one year. Boston last year, Tyler Bertuzzi, first-rounder. Dimitri Orloff, first-rounder. Just like unleashing all these deals. Chris McFarlane and Joe Sackick don't do that. They are very calculated with their trades. They traded Arturi like they got Arturi Lekkinen for a high draft pick, for sorry for a high prospect and a second rounder. Josh Manson for Drew Hellison and a second rounder. Lars Eller for a second rounder. Carl Soderberg for like a third or a fourth. They don't make those big risk moves. What the Ryan Johansson move to me was, and basically the big risk moves where it's like this could go really well, 
or it could blow up in your face. The Darcy Kemper one was pretty much the only other example I could think of. The Ryan Johansson deal was that. It was a, this could go really well, or the reality of where we are, this could blow up in your face. And it's just very unusual to me that they chose to go that route rather than even locking up JT Comfort. None of us would have been happy, but locking up JT Comfort for five years at $5 million or whatever the hell Detroit gave him, I'm sure he could have came in a little bit less in Denver, but not by much. They, they kind of rolled the dice three times, right, the, this past offseason. I think you could say the same thing about Druin. It was kind of an experiment, like this could go really well or it could go really sour. Same thing with Tomas Tatar, and we saw how I, obviously they feel about Tomas Tatar. They got him out of town. Um, I, I'm curious, it feels like the last couple years, the Avalanche are taking shots at some guys and missing, yeah. right? We've heard a lot of potential free agents, a lot of um, just, just names floated out throughout the last 24 months that, that just didn't pan out. And I, I wonder if, you know, the, the front office has gotten this reputation or um, the organization has a reputation of having a hard time getting guys and they, they're just kind of having to go with what they can get their hands on at this point because they seemingly are striking out on a lot of the efforts they're making, right? Last week we heard about Elias Lindholm and Sean Monahan and the Avs being in on them. Uh, who else? Patrick Kane was a name that was, I think, floated around. I, yeah. I mean, the list goes on and on of, of big names, right? Even Giroux was possibly um, Jack Eichel back in the day, Jack even Eichel. though, even though that deal probably would have involved an Azam Kadri in early of the cup year. So thankfully that one didn't happen, but yeah, yeah, I, I get exactly where you're going. And that's kind of been the thing. Like, <clears throat> you know, I I've talked about this on this podcast with you before the avalanche did something with that Stanley cup team in 2022 that most teams don't do. They built the team through trades. They went out and traded two seconds for, for Devon Taves, a second and a third for Andre Burakovsky, Nazem Kadri. They got him for Tyson Berry, uh, Arturi Lekin and Josh Manson. Like they went out and made a lot of trades, Sam Gerard, Bowen Byram, Byram's a drafted guy right. the, Sam the, Gerard and, in the Duchesne trade. There's no way they were going in the last off season with Ryan Johansson at the top of their list. Yeah. 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 No, 100%. Right. But what I, yeah, like, yeah, absolutely. But what I'm saying is the big thing for me is. Their pro and, scouting has taken a step back. Yeah, that Their wasn't pros- a, that wasn't a counter to what you were saying. I'm just saying yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in general, like that they didn't go into the you last offseason saying guy. let's go get Ryan Johansson. Yeah. They had to swing and miss on a few names to to land on. I, all right, maybe this will work. And they traded for him in June. Like I really want to know if they contemplated Ryan O'Reilly as a free agent or if they didn't want him at all or if they did contemplate him and pretty much got a very staunch no, I'm not signing there from O'Reilly's camp. Like, I genuinely want to know because that dude signed for four years at four and a half million with the National Predators team that took Ryan Johansson and Matt Duchesne and told him to take a hike. And Ryan O'Reilly today scored his 18th goal of the season he has 25 assists, 42 points in 52 games. Like he looks incredible. I genuinely want to know. But the big thing for me is their pro scouting has taken a step back. Mm-hmm. They got this Burakovsky guy who had 13 goals in three straight years and like 26 and 32 points or whatever the hell he had with Washington. Turned him into a 60-point guy. They got this Arturi Lekinen guy. Turn him into a 50, 60 point guy. They got Val Natrushkin, turn him into the monster that he is now. And man, was that guy playing good before he 
left the lineup uh, against that Leafs game and then eventually entering the assistance player assistance program. Uh, Devon Taves, they turned him into what they turned him into. We're not seeing that happen anymore. Evan Rodriguez gave you a lot more of what he gave you in Pittsburgh and now what he's giving you in Florida. He didn't take that next step. They brought in Ryan Johansson and kind of like, trust me, guys, this is a thing. And, and it didn't work. Ross Colton is the one that is very intriguing to me because like I didn't expect Miles Wood to come in here and be, you know, the next Burakovsky. Miles Wood is clearly a bottom six guy that you brought in to play that role, similar to like what Matt Calvert, Darren Helm, guys like that have given you in the past, and he's doing it. Jonathan Drouin was brought in at 800K. Like you said, you know, just like Tomas Tatar, these are, you know, swings that they've taken, but these are $800,000, million, like very low risk takes. Ross Colton is the other one that is very intriguing to me because when they brought in Ross Colton and they told him, we want to switch you to center and you're going to be a full-time center. Did they see him as someone who could potentially take that next step, you know, akin to what I'm talking about, Taves, Lekanen, Nichushkin, Burakovsky. Did they see him as someone that can take that next step? Because what I'm seeing from Ross Colton is a guy who's a solid 32 to 39 point player who Jared Bednar does not trust to play 17, 18, 19 minutes consistently. Had a little bit of a short stint on the top power play unit. Has flashes of showing he can be a guy, but just hasn't done it enough consistently. And I'm not saying he's a bust. I'm not saying his contract is a bust. But they got that guy and gave him four years at $4 million per year. And in my head right away, I'm like, they must see something in this guy. Like they did in Lekkanen and Berkey. And he's eventually going to be a consistent top six guy. Something you texted me today is something I asked Jared Bednar in October. Why the hell won't they play Ross Colton on the wing in the top six? Because I think that's where he fits. Goes back to the issue. Nathan McKinnon's your top line center. Ryan Johansson, Frederick Olofsson, Ross Colton. That's your entire center depth. Because next in line is Ben Myers and Andre Pavel. Like, you have no centers on this team, and it is killing them. Yeah, you know, it kind of clicked in my head. I was saying how it's been about 24 months since they've had a hard time bringing in free agents and just making moves. That's also in line with when Joe Sackett kind of stepped aside, right? Yeah. And Chris McFarland's at the helm. So um, maybe we just got to keep a closer eye on Chris McFarland. You know, I know there's people already out there that aren't exactly stoked with what he's done lately. And um, maybe it's just something we all got to keep a microscope on for the time being. Yeah, I really wonder how those conversations go. I've been one to always defend Chris McFarland because – you know, he helped build that 2022 team. But the biggest difference when you're in that GM seat is you're the one making those calls. So, you know, hindsight is 2020. But if Joe Sakic was the one on the phone, is he closing a Monaghan deal? Is he closing a Lindholm deal? You know, those were big returns for both of those guys. Mm -hmm. But what is it that's different that's happening with Chris McFarlane on the phone? Did he get enough training from Joe Sackick? Like, what is it that's ha happening in terms of driving a hard bar bargain and being a negotiator? Because we saw Joe Sackick win a lot of big trades. He was a hard bargain. Greg Wyshynski, his favorite joke for like four years was when Joe Sackick calls you hang up because he's going to fleece you. And we haven't seen any of those from Chris McFarland yet. And I'm just genuinely curious if... He's got what it takes to be a player evaluator. He's got what it takes to run a team. He's got great culture. He's got a good head on his shoulders. He's a good, genuine dude, and the players love him and the coaching staff loves him. I've heard McKinnon call him a genius. 
I've heard McKinnon call him a genius. Thank you. Yes. Like they love the guy, but when it comes to making those calls and driving a hard bargain, what is the difference with mm-hmm. that was allowing Joe Sackick to close the deal that so far we've not seen Chris Mar- McFarland close the deal. And that even goes for player negotiations. That goes back to Nazem Kadri. That goes back to guys like that. Um, I just really, really want to know how those conversations are going because mm-hmm. we're seeing a team here that, you know, the avalanche just lost four in a row. The sky is falling. Sure. But I don't want it to go completely off the rails, but we're seeing a team here that one or two or three good decisions puts you back in the conversation for winning three of the next five Stanley cups, one or two or three bad decisions puts you the other way. Mm-hmm. Like look, the Tampa Bay lightning look like a mess right now. When you look at their depth to no fault of their own, except for the fact that they traded an entire draft class for Tanner Geno for some reason, but that's kind of where the avalanche are. They got to figure this out and quick and, uh, you know, not super quick. Kale McCarr and Nathan McKinnon are not 35 years old by any means. And Miko Rantanen, but they ultimately are one or two or three decisions away from having a star studded top line and nothing else. And one or two and three decisions away from figuring this out, using Bo Byram as a trade chip, bringing back a healthy Nachushkin, figuring out your center depth, drafting some damn good players, hopefully not needing to trade Callum Ritchie so that you actually have somebody that can come in hopefully in a year or two. Um, I don't want to, you know, dub him the next Alex Newhook and then end up with disappointment, but they really do got to figure out a way. And it starts with Chris McFarland and it, you know, it starts with the trade deadline. And 35 isn't that old Arif. Um, But no, kind of, kind <laughs> of like, hockey player terms, <laughs> kind of like we were saying um, earlier, right? I think this road trip after the break is, is really tough. They just got to get back and get some home cooking. And we could easily be right back here on the same podcast chatting in a month or two and uh just talking about how we're we're just overreacting right now right but that's that's the conversation these conversations need to be had but i think they still got two more games to go on this road trip and <laughs> yeah. uh they got to find a way to to win both or else this this road trip's going to be another failure and then get home get some home cooking and you know how good they're playing at home this year plus i think you start off with arizona when you get back so some winnable games when you get back home some winnable games in march just kind of got to get through this rough patch and make sure that it's just a rough patch and not something that keeps poking its head all the way through through elimination the rest of february is um i go both ways on how i feel about it they got washington and tampa bay those are very much winnable games full stop no doubt about it they beat both of them at ball arena you should be able to win those games then, like you said, you have Arizona when you come back home, but the game after that is Vancouver. Then you go to Detroit, and then you come back at home, and you have Toronto and Dallas. So is it getting easy? Sure, but not for long. Like it's the, the, They're going to have to win these games against the Caps, against the Lightning, the teams that are fighting for wild card spots, Arizona, because when you get to Vancouver, when you get to Toronto, when you get to Dallas, and then their Achilles heel on February 29th, the Chicago Blackhawks, uh, it, it, it could get bad real quick. So I like March, though. March goes Nashville, Chicago, Detroit, Minnesota, Chicago, Detroit, Minnesota, all at home. Then Calgary, Vancouver, Edmonton, St. Louis, Columbus, Montreal's in there in March. Nashville's in there again. So I think March is really where you can kind of make up for what's going on here in February. It's wild how close we are to the end of the regular season. Yeah, it really is. It really yeah. is. Two months from now, we'll be we'll be in the last week, and mm-hmm. two months is going to fly. 
So they got some time to figure this out. Look, the trade deadlines in 27 days. One of my favorite things players always say, and we'll wrap her up here is, is that it's never as bad as, and players always say this to media. Jack Johnson has said this to me many, many times this season. It's never as bad as you guys think it is. It's never as good as you guys think it is. Mm -hmm. And like you said, to start the show, they're doing a lot of the right things. They're building a lot of good habits. That usually means they're working their way out of a slump. When you're winning a lot of games in a row, and those last one or two or three straight wins kind of like <laughs> there was a miracle involved and you're like, ah, they just squeaked that one out. They just squeaked that one out. If you re remember Jonathan Bernier's 10 game winning streak, it was like, holy shit, how did they beat Toronto in that game? Oh my God, they won this one. They won that one. They shouldn't mm -hmm. have won it. That usually means you're headed toward a regression. But when you're losing games and bad luck is on your side and you're doing the right things, it usually means you're working your way out of a slump. And in a week from now, the Avalanche could be 3-0. and they could be foreign or whatever the hell, however many games they have in the next yeah, seven days. No, that's a hundred percent. Right. So it looks bad right now. It is bad right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, we just spent 40, 45 minutes on the, on this podcast together and didn't even mention the fact that they need to bring in another goalie. So Georgiev doesn't play himself into a freaking into the ground. Um, you know, enter Mark Andre Fleury. <laughs> we'll see. But they, they, there are things that can get done to make this team better. And, and the most easiest of them is the guys on this team that know how to play and know how to win, just play better in a week from now. In two weeks from now, you could be heading into the trade deadline, feeling good about yourself, which is how you want to feel. You don't want to go up to the negotiation table with other GMs, just smirking at Chris McFarland, like, Oh, you need help. Let's, <laughs> let's see what you're willing to pay. Let's fleece you this time. Yeah. Let's the tables you. turned. Yeah. And uh, Nathan McKinnon, we've heard him talk a lot about how he's getting better at turning the page, right? And and yeah. not letting losses get him so down or just kind of break him off of his routine. It's got to be harder to keep that mindset after four losses in a row, but this is a test of adversity. And, you know, you need those tests of adversity to kind of build those calluses for the playoffs. And he knows that. Yeah, absolutely. But God, what a fall he took. Where he yeah, fell, fell pretty. That looked like one of. The, I mean, he, you know, Jared Bednar hurts him, if you ever yeah. fallen on ice, and Ugh. you kind of like, and you fall on your chin, and your, you know, your your teeth kind of like clamp against each other, and you could bite your tongue. Like it just, it's a hard fall, and he obviously had to get patched up on the chin. He didn't come back out. Jared said no update. Hasn't talked to the trainers, but that just says to me that y'all are down for nothing. You're not going to mm -hmm. ice this up and shoot it up and go back out there. You're in pain. Just. Put a nice yeah. pack to your chin and sit in your stall. <laughs> like, go start. Go start your post game workout so we could so yeah. we can head to Washington. So, yeah, go start your post game workout <laughs> so we're not two hours late. <laughs> that was a fun interview back then. Uh, brighter days. So hopefully those brighter days are ahead. But with that, JJ, uh, let me ask a question you usually ask me. Any closing thoughts? No, no. This was it was fun. I feel like I got to talk more on this episode than I ever did on our episodes together. So um, let's definitely do it again. And uh, yeah, thanks everybody for hanging out with us. Yeah, this was great. Um, regular season's flying by. We got, I believe, 29 more games remaining before the playoffs. And boy, would we love to be in Sunrise, Florida in June 1st, Stanley Cup final. I know you would. I would be too. It's yep. cold and snowy and dark and gloomy in Denver today. So Ooh. Let's fast forward. Seasonal four depression has been real for oh, me this this straight up. It's been tough. I, I feel that. So let's fast forward four months. Let's be in Sunrise, Florida, doing stupid shit, taking dumb pictures, wearing sunglasses, and scootering our way around the city, running into Joe Sackick or something. That would be great. But with that, 
JJ, I don't know if you trademarked this, but I'm going to steal something from you. If you made it this far in the podcast, bless that pretty little heart of yours. Uh, I hope you... You I messed totally, it up. You messed it up. All right. I, I fumbled that, but if you <laughs> made it this far in the podcast without turning it off and we started talking about old Playboy magazines, bless that pretty little heart of yours. Let's make hockey for everyone. And we out you. Uh-huh.